guys, welcome back to the Nevermind Polly podcast. Hope you're all doing well. My name is Matt, I'm your host, and we chat to rock and metal bands from around this wonderful globe of ours. This week's episode is with the brilliant Beans on Toast. I sat down with Jay for a conversation uh, this week ahead of his massive UK tour. 30 dates on this tour. Make sure you get down to a show going to be absolutely brilliant we get into everything on this conversation it's absolutely one of my favorites in recent memory and you know what jay's a bit of a hero of mine i absolutely love and adore this man's music i think he's a fucking class individual and um yeah this conversation was great thank you for the love and support the podcast has received the last couple of weeks it's uh, been great We've really, really been smashing it um, in terms of the content. We hope you enjoy it. If you want to chuck us a couple of quid, you can go over to patreon.com forward slash Podcast. If you don't want to do that, that's fine. You can just tell a friend, give us a five-star review on your favorite podcasting platform. Yeah, this is my conversation with Jay of Beans on Toast on the Nevermind Polly Podcast. We hope you enjoy make sure you tell a friend go out and see him on tour buy his music stream his stuff yeah i'm out of here peace hi guys welcome back to the nevermind poly podcast my name is matt i'm your host and we chat to rock and metal bands from around the world and this week We've got a bit of a hero of mine. I'm not going to make my guest feel uncomfortable this early on, but I've got Mr. Jay McKilster on the podcast, formerly known as, or as known as, Beans on Toast. More, more better known. Definitely known as Beans on Toast, yes. There we go. <laughs> How are we doing? How's things? Yeah, good. Thanks for having me. Mm. Sorry, I'm drinking milk already because I've got, right. I've got heartburn. I've got everything going on. It's all going on today. I'm just not fit for purpose as they say <laughs> but um as this podcast goes out you are about to embark on a 30 date tour of the uk some would mm-hmm. call that a little bit crazy but to you that seems fairly normal i would i would guess how are you feeling about it <laughs> yeah i can't wait i mean it's a, that's a pretty standard tour i think normally i don't normally shout about how many dates are on the tour just because um it's not normally a round number. It doesn't roll off as well. And it's like a 27 date tour. It just so happens that this one's 30 dates. So I can't, every time I mention the tour, I sort of mention the 30 dates, which a lot of people are like, God, that's long. And it's like, that's pretty standard for me. You know, I generally do um, two UK tours a year um, mm-hmm. around that size, basically. So, I mean, the more the merrier when it comes to gigs, isn't it? absolutely absolutely um do you have much like tour prep and things do you kind of do a lot before before the show sort of starts and things or is it just a case of obviously the logistical side of booking a tour and then just going out and doing your thing so to speak i definitely have it easier than most uh, and this tour coming up um is i mean in the past I'd, I've sort of torn with different musicians and little bands and whatnot, but the kind of the sort of purpose of this tour is is a solo tour. So it's all 
Super, super simple. I mean, the stuff that needs to be get re- get ready is the kind of boring admin stuff, you know, mm-hmm. like uh, making sure you got enough merch and kind of making sure there's oil in the van and just sort of bits and bobs. So I'll kind of like um, certainly sort of over the course of the next week in my head, I'll be just, you know, I'll have a little list of things. And as they pop into my head, I'll write them on the list just to make sure you got everything. But I mean, the creative side all comes like really natural. Um, You know, it's not like I haven't just got back from playing a tour anyway. So I will this I mean, this tour, I'll probably learn some old songs. But I can do I get stuck into more that kind of creative side when I'm actually out and about. You know, if there's new songs that I want to throw into the set, I'll sort of relearn them on the on the tour itself. Absolutely. And tour is a, is a topic that's going to come up a lot with yourself because you are one of the most prolific touring artists just ever. Um, I mean, I, I banned um, Mr. Frank Turner in that camp alongside yourself in being just an absolutely prolific uh, artist in terms of touring. So how do you, because let me get this right, your your next album will be the 15th studio record, if I got that correct? <laughs> uh, 16th. It'll be the 16th. 16th. Yeah. Amazing. How do you go about picking a set list? Because obviously there is, you know, the certain fan favorites, but obviously they can you want to throw things in for you as well. How do you go about picking a set list? Well, I mean, for most albums that I write, there'll be there's sort there's always sort of one or two songs which mm-hmm. which stay. And yeah. the rest, a lot of songs do just, you know, get left by the wayside, basically. There's there's songs on some of those albums that probably got played on the album tour and then you know will never get played again which you know and there's some songs that are also incredibly out of date you know mm-hmm. like if we go back through talking about you know the, the the matter of the day doesn't really sort of no one gives a shit about it three years later um so there's sort of naturally songs that just stick with it and and then ones always just stay fresh in my mind so it kind of i mean as far as what i would want to play and sort of sort of ticking what I need from a gig is always new songs that's mm-hmm. what I, I always just want to play whatever the latest songs I've been writing which are generally you know haven't been recorded and, and aren't released so as I throw them in to kind of tick my box and yeah and then I, there's always a part of the gig where it's like does anybody want to hear any songs you know where people shout out which sometimes people can shout out a song and they'll be like but there's no way in the world I'm ever going to be able to remember that. And, and sometimes I could just, if, if the first line comes to me, even if it's a song I haven't played for years, someone shouts it out and I could just be like, I know it. And I just yeah. hit straight into it. And if I get that first line right, I've, I've sort of uh, amazed myself in the past with sort of being able to dig. Sometimes it's like muscle memory. If you just know it's there in there somewhere and you just click it and it goes. So, yeah, I mean, I like my shows to have a bit of a sort of, uh a free-for-all feel to them as uh, so with that i mean i never i used to be really proud of never using set lists and just going on and see what happens but these days my shows are a lot longer it was actually from doing um live stream shows over covid i started there i needed a set list if i was going to play for an hour to a computer because i had nothing to work from and then i was like you know what there's a reason that people have set lists and i put now i sort of like I'll spend a bit of time thinking about what I'm going to play beforehand, but still leave a bit of, you know, if I want to go off off piece, then I quite often do. 
That, that, that makes perfect sense. How did you kind of find the whole the whole lockdown period, just as a in terms of a musician and obviously personally, because like you say, you are kind of your bread and butter is going out and touring and, and meeting fans and playing shows. How did you kind of deal with that sort of from a musical perspective of being a musician, but also kind of personally, how did you find things? Yeah, I mean, like if you take out the sort of tragedy of the world, my personal story Absolutely. through it was was a, was a was quite a nice one to be honest. You know, like um, from you know, I've got I, my daughter was two at the start of lockdown, so not touring and being at home with her for a couple of years was a nice thing to do. Um, and yeah, I mean, just you know, I I did, but I to begin with, I was like, fuck doing live streams. I sort of hated the idea of it, and then when I got down off my high horse and did one it was like amazing you know and it, it you know it really helped me we sold merch but because what I do is so DIY like I've always run, like released my own music run my own merch between me and my wife we had all these systems in place we had you know everything down to the envelopes to a, a mate who worked in the local delivery office and yeah. so when we was just like right let's I had all this a shed full of stuff and we just sold loads because and because we had the systems in place, it was you know it was it was really really lovely because it's sort of like I don't know I think a lot of people weren't necessarily buying the fucking CD because they wanted the CD. There was just I felt that people were just sort of like helping me out. I really did, and you know my songs kind of sorted me out when I needed them the most. And I did a lot of writing. I released two albums in 2020, so that was helped that that kind of not that it should all be about you know the financial aspect but where I wasn't gigging releasing two albums which I did purely for a um for creative reasons actually ended up being quite a good business decision and you know not just selling two records so again that sort of ticked things over and then I was just like straight first out the gate I mean if you think back to when it was like a rule of six and Pete you had to be like there was promoters around the country that were trying to put on shows and they had to people had to be sat down but they needed yeah. to sell as much booze as possible and that is a niche that I'm pretty good at filling you know a, a drunken crowd that don't mind sitting down for a gig so I did loads of gigs during that period so and yeah I mean like I kind of I'm sort of I'm well over it now as I think most people are I mean it's the first time I've talked about covid for ages you know the, the album that i wrote about it i'll just never sing those songs ever yeah, again and back to talking about stuff that sort of has a uh a, a sort of shelf life absolutely um it's glad that all that shit is well out the door absolutely mm -hmm. um i wanted to talk to you a little bit about kind of your origin story because growing up in essex um is is such so i'm in uh, norwich norwich way so kind of the okay. east Anglia kind of region is such like a little hotbed for musicians and especially kind of where where you're from as well what was the scene like growing up for you and how did you kind of first develop a, a love affair with music my the essex band i was in was called jellico and we were like a grunge band and we started out at school kind of before the way the band started was we couldn't play any instruments and we just told everyone we was in a band you know just to just to look cool just because it seemed like a good thing to do and then uh after graffiti and the name around the school and telling everyone we was like fuck maybe we should get some instruments and actually do this and uh so we started like that <laughs> and and then by the time we got to college yeah, there was uh, 
there was a bunch of, of, of great bands kind of doing that kind of grunge punk thing. Um, and we were all like super tight mates. There was maybe like six bands and like people moved between bands. And there was, we used to do, we grew up in Braintree where there was fuck all going on. You know, there was like no music venues or anything like that. The closest venue was the legendary to, to us. Um, Oh my God, I said legendary, I forgot it's called. What was it called? The Army and Navy in Chelmsford. <laughs> and um, and we used to do like free coaches. We'd mm. pay we'd pay all our, we'd all work in factories, save up money to bus load of people, uh, you know, a bunch of drunk teenagers from Braintree into, uh, into Chelmsford and we'd play at the Army and Navy and do like two or three band bills. And uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it, it was cool. It didn't feel particularly connected to the wider world, but I guess that's what, um, you know, local scenes are about. And this was back when, um, you know, you could tell what someone listened to by the way they dressed. It was very awesome. much a time of you know, the music that you listened to defined who you were, which I don't necessarily think it does so much these days, for better or for worse. You know, people just have a lot more music to listen to and, they sort of react to it in different ways, but it was very much like, you know, we were Grebos in Braintree and, you know, we ripped our jeans, we painted our nails and uh, we sort of threw cheap guitars at each other on stage and stuff like that. And it was cool. I mean, you know, like I was pretty determined at the time and uh, yeah, we loved it. I love that. I love that. And, th and that's the thing as well. It, it's, you know, that DIY aesthetic that you spoke about there has just followed you throughout your career. Um, and it's taken you kind of all over the globe. So I want to ask you were the dream guest to ask this question to. Where is the weirdest or strangest place you've ever played a show? Um, I mean, the weirdest, and, and it's up there with some of the best as well. I, I quite often, I've done this flogging Molly cruise, the Salty Dog Amazing. cruise, yeah. which goes from Miami to um, the Bahamas. And it's like the last, the last place you would expect my music to work. Um, yeah. and, uh, and I've sort of almost become the mascot of this sort of festival of the seas. I'm back, back there this year. I mean, that's, that's pretty random. Um, I did. I did some stuff in South Africa once. I played a root, uh, uh, the a rooftop gallery while the sun was setting uh, over Table Mountain in uh, in South Africa, which was which was pretty epic. Um, but probably the strangest gigs don't necessarily need to be in the sort of far flung. Did a gig in a cave in, in Nottingham once um, by candlelight to Amazing. like. And to, to me, to, to be honest, the strangest gigs, as far as the sort of weird ones, um, are generally ones with the fewest people. Like I've done a bunch of house shows um, in in the past, and some of them can be fucking odd. You know, like there's, I did it with someone's house. I think it was like Atlanta. It was like some suburban town in the states, and you just kind of knock knock on the door, and there's just sort of eight people. Um, and only four of them even give a shit about your music. And I remember doing one where there was like the, all of that. I was just sat there on the sofa and there was just eight people all on their phones filming it while I, <laughs> while, while I was just sort of. And it's weird then because when you when you do your kind of your chat between the songs, it can just turn into just a conversation, you know, yeah. like because it, it's yeah. like. 
And then you're like, how do you guide it? It's like, do, I, do you want me to play? Another? And it's quite hard to guide it back to the kind of, this is a gig. Is it a yeah. gig? I don't know. It's sort of like, um, so those, those house shows can be, can be bizarre. Not necessarily in a bad way, but, uh, but, but weird. <laughs> weird. Sure. I love that. Well, so I do, I um, first heard of you and first got into your music uh, when you supported um, Frank Turner at the stadium shows he'd done in 2012. Now, mm-hmm. I don't know if I've heard this correctly, whether I've made this up over time or whatever, but am I right in saying that you had crowd surfed over the, I think it was at Wembley, and then got somehow locked out because you didn't have an artist pass. Have I made that up, or is that? Uh, a thing? I mean, that was I, I. added a bit of fuel to that fire, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and let the people believe. Now, what happened? It was it was Frank's Wembley show, so it was twenty twelve, mm. and and it was at the time it was like it was the first time Frank sort of attacked an uh, you know an arena, and it was a massive move for him, and and I got you know taken along for the ride and I had this sort of 20 minute opening set which you know everybody on paper could be quite disastrous you know because if it's like you have this huge, huge uh, opening up an arena could just be playing to you know again another four people, four people yeah. but it you know in true Frank Turner fashion it wasn't the case everybody got in I was on super soon after doors and I played my 20 minute set and loved it you know it was like what an incredible gig and then I was just like I didn't really want it to end, but I know it had to finish. So I was just like, I'm coming in and just sort of like jumped into the crowd. I think jump is a strong word. I think I sort of delicately stepped into the crowd of people at the front. And uh, Steve Lamack was DJing actually. And he played Mr. Big Stuff. And while yeah. uh, while Mr. Big Stuff was playing, I got, yeah, I, I don't know whether I said I want to go out of the way, but I just kind of got crowd surfed all the way to the back of the arena, which ended up just with, you know, like a, a bunch of people with me on getting held on the shoulders, like I'd won the basketball match, if you know what I mean. And like, it's like, who do you think you are, Mr. Big Stuff, like playing. And I'm just sort of get carried out. And then I just sort of like, think, well, I've made it to the end. So I run out the door. And uh, I mean, it was quite weird because I didn't have any shoes on as usual. And like, walk, it took me a while to get back. But I did, I did get back in. But the, the, there was a problem with Wembley where they wouldn't let me sell my merch or they wanted to take loads of money from the merch that I was selling. So I just went out of the venue and sold where, where you know, like just outside the venue. And so that somehow got convoluted to I got thrown out. Um, <laughs> uh, and we did it and we did another gig and basically sold some merch out the front. Uh, and then again, I did a gig stood on someone's, sat on someone's shoulders because the crowd was so big outside. So I used a, a human stage, me and Bobby Banjo. And uh, yeah, and, and that was that. And then everyone, somehow it got turned into, I got thrown out, but um, nah. Well, well, we'll clear it up here and now. There we go. Love yeah. that. Love that. <laughs> um, so the 1st of December is an important date for you, being your birthday. Mm-hmm. But yeah. also, it's the day in which you release something into the world, pretty much prolifically since 2009, or so it seems on Wikipedia, at least. Yeah, um, that's true. How do you stop yourself from getting burnt out? Because you are just a constant rolling machine of making music, touring, making music, and just being constantly just really active and busy. How do you stop yourself from being burnt out? 
Well, I mean, everybody always sort of comments on how, you know, how busy I'm, how much I tour and how many songs I write. But at the end of the day, that is what I do. You know, I am a songwriter and I, you know, writing songs and touring them is, is what I do. I actually, you know, this is the easiest job I've ever had. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> By like quite a long stretch, you know, the work that I used to do before this was fuck. I've done some grueling jobs in my time. Um, and even, even when I was kind of promoting gigs and stuff like that, it was still, you know, hard work and it was it took a lot of time. I mean, I, the simple matter is I enjoy doing this, you know, That's like and I, and I, I don't think I mean, it. I guess it's an album a year seems like a lot because a lot of bands work on kind of longer album campaigns, but from a creative standpoint, I, I mean, it seems to be my natural output. You know, I know some people, it obviously it's a artistic endeavor, isn't it? So it can take some people longer than others. But for me, I certainly never think, Oh man, I've got to write this song for an album where I'm a couple of tracks short. You know, if I didn't have an album, I wouldn't release one. I've not really promised it. It's kind of quirky and cool, but it's, it, it's more that it's just, yeah, it just feels like my, my natural output. And, and there's always time to do it. You know, I mean, we've, I just released this kid's book. So that kind of like, if anything, I've got too many bloody songs now because yeah. it's like no no way to no way to put them out. So yeah, I mean the songwriting is something I enjoy, and I feel that that's you know in order to keep on doing this wonderful job that I've that I've found, you know, it's just like yeah, I I I mean I love writing songs almost as much as I love touring them, probably probably equally actually. That makes perfect sense. That's that's really good to hear that you're still creatively uh the creative juices are still flowing and things you spoke mm. uh, about writing the kids book so previous to that you've obviously had experience of writing down uh, your drunk tale stories uh mm -hmm. in two books and things how different was it from kind of recounting real life or uh, like real life events that happened in the first two books to creating something completely new and something completely different with the kids book it was, I mean, it was so different from, so I've got two books, Drunk Folk Stories and Foolhardy Folk Tales, and both of them, as you said, are kind of collections of stories. And that was, but writing these kids' books was way more like writing the song than mm -hmm. it was writing a book, because that's effectively what it what it is. It's like, it's the same kind of turn of phrase um, for 10 different times. It's under mm -hmm. a theme. I mean, I actually sat and wrote the Little B books pretty much in one sitting. You know, I, I had Little B was created, the character was created by Jamie and Lily, some friends of mine that I wrote a song about a long time ago. They drew up the character um, and on Brighton Beach one day, um, they was they just showed me this character and was like, look, it's kind of based on your daughter Ren or your wife Lizzie B or your kind of attitude, but it's a present and we've created this character they're called little b and what do you think and i was like i've got ideas you know should we do something because this character was so cool lily is a like she's an art teacher and you know well she's she's an artist and uh and she it was just lovely illustrations so inspired by that i was like we should do a kids book you know at the time like i said i've got i've got a daughter and you know obsessed with julia donaldson and a lot of great there's some amazing kids books out there really enjoy them so it's just like right let's let's do it so i kind of come up with the idea 
about Little B Goes to the Sea, Goes to the Woods, and then sat down and wrote effectively 10 songs. So it was much more like writing the songs than it was writing the, the, the actual books. And then handed the songs back to Jamie and Lily. And they illustrated them, basically. And then we pieced them all together like that. And then we kind of, we actually, we all sat together and kind of storyboarded all the books and what would go on each page with each lyric. And then Lily went away while working. I mean, that's it. What you said about my hard job, Lily's a, um, Lily's a teacher, Jamie's a nurse, and we were yeah. working together on this project. And they would, you know, Lily was drawing all night and then teaching all day. Yeah, you know, I was sitting around on my ass, sort of piecing together a couple of pictures for them. I don't, I, I don't uh, disbelieve that they, they work very, very hard, but you work very hard as well, sir. So do not give yourself discredit. <laughs> that's for sure. Um, something I wanted to talk about as well was the fact that the majority, if not all, of the venues on this tour are independent. Have I got that correct? Because yes. Yeah. In independent venues, you know, obviously we spoke a little bit about the, the last couple of years and everything that's gone on there. Um, and obviously, I know you're a very politicized man and things like that as well. Like the government doesn't help. There's a very polite way of putting it uh, for the arts industry and things like that. So it's important to give these um, independent um, venues and artists and things the lift they really need. How do you kind of feel about the state of the independent scene as it is nowadays? Um, I think one thing, it's important to be true to what you see no matter if it goes against your natural instincts so one thing that i would say is the government do help mm. even this fucking awful tory government you know some of the, a lot of the venues that i'll be visiting um this you know in the next month would have survived because of a handout from mm. from the sure. government and uh but what i would say is there's fucking more where that come from you know, Absolutely. and that was always there and it wasn't being being offered before. So it's like it's kind of highlighted that. Um, and, uh, you know, and I think that over the last couple of years, people sort of it's, it's been quite a hot topic, hasn't it? Music mm -hmm. venues and, uh, and, and, and their importance. And I think a lot of the um, crowd funders and whatnot kind of really showed that they that they mean something to people i mean independent venues is it's always been you know they're in my fucking blood you know i lived in venues for my 20s you know that was i lived above a place called nambuka a place called the flower plant a place called the wheelbarrow and it was like um and then i mean touring it isn't even like i've have to go out of my way to make sure we play in independent venues it's just all, they're just the ones that are, that are sort of that's just where where I always go and where I've built up a relationship with so I think that um you know there's obviously great work being done with Music Venues Trust and, it, and people have highlighted the issue and you know the biggest thing that people can do now is go to gigs you know Absolutely. that's that that is if you know it's a, it's a, a, an enjoyable way of helping the you know the scenario isn't it you know just find your local venue and and, and go to a gig absolutely and obviously such an extensive tour which we spoke about you doing extensive tours across the board anyway is there any this isn't throwing any shade on any other cities but is there any cities that you're on the tour list and think yeah that's going to be a good show or because oh, for example yeah of course for example, York sticks out to me like a sore thumb because I fucking love York. It's an amazing city just in itself. Um, Bath is fantastic as well. Do you have any personal favourites you're like, I'm really looking forward to that night particularly? 
Yeah, I mean, Manchester or Manchester, Leeds, to be honest, the kind of bigger ones. Um, mm. I mean, the Leeds, the, I'm playing the Brudenell Social Club in Leeds, which is, you know, up there with my favourite venues in the country. And that, you know, I think I've, this might be, might be like my seventh year on the trot playing Brudenell. I, don't think, I haven't played another venue in Leeds for years. Um, Manchester, I've been playing Gorilla, which is another venue that I really, really love for so long that I've actually been mixing it up and playing a place called Band on the Wall this year, um, which I've heard great things about, but never actually been to. So much was I sort of stuck in my ways that I booked a hotel next to Gorilla because I just presumed I was going to be a gorilla. Then I was like, fuck, we decided not to do gorilla. So uh, uh, we stand on the other side of town. Um, I mean, Newcastle, the Clooney, that is, yeah. is, you know, always a great, a great night out. And, you know, uh, being an honorary scouser, I have, I've got a soft spot for Liverpool, but we're not actually playing Liverpool on this tour. We're playing across the Mersey in Birkenhead, um, which... I thought it would it to me seems close, but there's a big old cultural divide. It seems, and none of the scouts are willing to travel uh, across the, the 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 water to to Birkenhead. But um, yeah, yeah, I'm trying to think. I mean, loads. You know, most I've I've got a lot of time for most major major cities. I've got a real soft spot for Norwich. To be honest. Yeah, like, I, think I, lo I love the arts and the arts center is fantastic little venue. I love it. Yeah, agreed. I haven't I haven't had much of a chance to um to to go to the art center because as I say a lot of the bands that come through there are sort of uh, lesser to sort of my uh, I'm more of a rock kind of metal guy and a lot of them are kind of indie and things like that and a bit more experimental. It so is, it's, yeah. But hopefully I'm fingers crossed and trying to get the day off work so I can come and see you, um, which would be fantastic. Um, mm -hmm. I, I want to kind of talk a little bit about because you've been uh, around the music industry for a long, long time. Um, have you met any of your musical heroes along the way? And do you have any good stories of those times? Yeah, yeah, I've met some musical heroes. I really have. Um, and also sort of watched people um, turn into, well, mm -hmm. you know, musical heroes. I remember um, seeing Florence Welch um, singing a cappella in a, one of these venues that I used to work at just banging her foot on the floor you know she just turned up it was this party after the pub had closed and she just stood there and started smashing her foot on the floor and singing and I was just like I mean this I was like surely she deserves to be like a a worldwide star this isn't this is bigger than this pub this is insane she's everything about her is brilliant and then watching her rise to become who who she had you know who, who she is 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 pretty special um I also had I did write about this in my in my first book, but I had uh, not necessarily through kind of the beans on toast side, but um, back when I was at Nambuka, I, I was in love with this band called the Two Glants, a uh, band from San Francisco, a kind of blues duo. And I was really, really obsessed with them. And I just bumped into them walking down the road, walking down the Holloway Road. I literally went out to buy some cigarettes and uh, and they were just there. There's like, so there's a duo, and I just sort of was like, "What? You're the two glads? What the fuck are you doing?" Blah blah blah. And I was just like, "Oh, you know, we're just we're actually just looking for somewhere to get some dinner." And I was like, "Mate, I fucking do you want? I'll take you to the best pub in the area. Do you want to mm -hmm. go and have a pint?" And they did. You know, they was up for it. And uh, 
we went and we got we got hammered i ended up organizing a um they were playing at the scala supporting the band which is why how didn't even know they was in town and uh, i organized an after party for them at nambuka so they came and did the a gig afterwards in Abuka and I supported and we became pretty good pals you know if I'm whenever I'm in San Francisco they don't play as two glance anymore whenever I'm in San Francisco I see them but initially like I said I just I was probably like singing one of their songs under my breath when I yeah. bumped into them on, on a hollow road and uh, and in fact the last time I saw Adam I was I was in uh, in Oakland at his house and he had he was playing darts in the garden and he did, I mean, I'm not a particularly great dart player. I don't necessarily think he is, but he, 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 I think he hit a bullseye and then he went for it again. And the dart went into the back of the other dart and it split like Amazing. a cartoon of Robin Hood. I mean, I've got photo evidence. It was insane. And I was like, they say, never meet your heroes. <laughs> and then they fucking come out and do like, you know, perform absolute feats of wonder. So yeah. yeah, my advice is meet your heroes and go and hang out in their back garden and play darts. Amazing stuff, amazing stuff. So I've got a couple of final questions for you. Uh, and, and the first one is kind of, you have to take a little bit of sarcasm. Some, some obviously you're, you're an Englishman, so you'll get my sarcasm. So when I'm a big famous podcaster, and when I have mm -hmm. all the money in the world and I can create my own festival, I'm gonna invite every single band or every single artist that's ever be on this podcast to come and play which will be a fairly oh. eclectic field to say the least what i want to know is what are you adding to that rider so so far we've got people have said so the last guy before you um was in a metal band and he said he wanted a whole petting zoo like a full-on okay. petting zoo so we've got like a sauna on there sushi coffee bean bags narcotics like a swimming pool i think is on there like just whatever there's no there's no uh no um restrictions what would you have I wouldn't have anything. I'd just come and do the gig. Fucking amazing. You're booked. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. I think riders, um, riders are like an overblown thing. If people really sure. can, you know, like if I want something, I'd go to the supermarket and get it. You know, a man like, of the people. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's not even that. I mean, it's they're super wasteful for me. And if you travel by yourself for a long time, I'd be like, you know, just leaving leaving a trail of uh, half-eaten pots of hummus behind me. And it was just like, this isn't right. You know, and it's like this sort of imaginary thing where you think that it's free, you know, and it's like, yeah, it's just, yeah. I think they're, they're overhyped. So I don't really, I don't really do riders. I just ask for some, you know, some fruit and some cold beer. Fruit and cold beer. We, we can make that happen. I'm sure that's not, that's <laughs> <their experience. laughs> um, so what is ahead uh, for beans on toast? Obviously the, the, um, the tour is going to be starting very soon, starting on the 21st of this month, uh, rolling yeah. all throughout the UK. And if you can't get to a show, then you've just got to get to a show because he's playing 30 goddamn dates. It's got to be somewhere close. Yeah, it's, to a, pretty, it's a pretty even <laughs> spread around, uh, you know, around the country as well, around the whole of the UK. So you can, there's, you know, if it's not in your town, there'll be one, there'll be one close by. I'm, I'm releasing a bunch of music around the tour as well because the, um, because of the kids book, like um and I, I realized I had these songs that were might not even be relevant uh mm -hmm. come December. So and in order to draw a line behind being a children's entertainer, um I've sort of so I've just released the back out on the road, which is a kind of theme tune 
for yeah. the tour and just for touring in general. I've got a song coming out two weeks today called Against the War, which is a protest song about all the horrors that are being committed in Ukraine at the moment. Uh, and then there's a song called The Free Stooges, which is about King Charles, Rishi Sunak and Liz Truss. Uh, and that will be uh, uh, that that will be our sort of mid tour and the, and their, their songs will probably live on the album that comes out in December. But I just wanted to get them recorded and get them out there and, and around this tour. So there's a full UK tour and a bunch of new music, basically. And then after that, I'm in Europe for a bit and then UK festivals. And then, yeah, come December, there'll, there'll be a, there'll be a new a new album aimed uh, you know, adults rather than children. <laughs> lovely stuff, lovely stuff. Um, a final question for you, Jay, that I ask every single guest that's been gracious enough to give me their time on this podcast is simply, what is the best thing about being a musician? Hmm. I mean, I kind of want to say a combination of all, but I'll tell you one thing that I really like. When you're on stage and you're playing and... You sing, you sing a line and you can tell it resonates with someone because they turn to the person next to them and they both look at each other at the same time and go, yeah. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> I love, I love that. that. Is there anything I've missed? Anything you want to say to the people listening at home? Anything uh, you want to add? No, nah, man, we've covered it all. Come to the motherfucking gigs. Absolutely brilliant. There we go. Beans on toast. And I'll on see you day. in Norwich. Get a day off work. Absolutely. And when I come to the Norwich gig, There'll be a pint in waiting for you as a thank you, as as really? as always. And I um I got uh, someone called me out on um on Instagram that day. I was like, you don't even buy the people beers. I was like, I bloody do. Went to a gig the other week, saw my friend who came on. I was like, there's a beer. And he's like, well, you don't lie. And I was like, I promise, is a promise. And that's well, how I made the gig. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll see you there. See you soon. All the best. Peace. Nice,